0: And so over the next four weeks, we're going to dive into what it was look like to journey to Bethlehem. And Mary's story journeying to Bethlehem, Joseph's journey to Bethlehem, and ultimately what happened in that little city. So we're gonna, it's going to be a great series starting next week. As always, the reason why we print these is not for you to remind you to come to church next week. The reason why we print these is for you to possibly invite a friend, a coworker, a neighbor on the journey of following Christ. So just like we're journeying to Bethlehem, did you guys know that 75% of the people that you invite that are that that don't go to church or that maybe went to church a long time ago that no longer go to church, so the unchurched and dechurched, 75% of those people will come to with you to church if you invite them. which is is crazy. And so basically what I'm saying is this Christmas season is a special season where where sometimes God wants to use you in the lives of your neighbors and friends and relatives. And so sometimes it's scary, but sometimes throwing out a little invitation. And so we want to give you a little uh, way to help you in that journey to invite a friend or coworker. So just remember this thing and uh, think about who you could pass that along. Some of you, maybe just take a picture and post it on your Facebook page or something, okay? Okay, Um, and the last thing I wanted to say, too many little things, Um, but Derek and Lauren are with us today right here. Okay, give them a hand. This is the last hand we've been clapping all morning. Uh, Can you just stand up for us? Okay, so Derek and Lauren were good friends of, still are good friends of mine. I officiated their wedding almost a year ago now, and they're from Baton Rouge, and and Lauren was on our governing board in Baton Rouge, and so they're they're just amazing people, so try to get to know them before they leave today. Um, So yeah, thank you guys. We love having you guys. Yeah. Okay, all done clapping. So today, um, we're finalizing this series called Coffee with Jesus, and we've been looking at What would happen if Jesus came today and sat down and had coffee? Like, what are some of the main things he would try to communicate and his heart share with our hearts? And so last week, DeBron did an amazing job. And so today I want to talk about thanks. And I think if Jesus sat in a coffee shop today with you or I, I think giving thanks would rise to the top of that list. And so I want to tackle this maybe from a unique perspective today. So a man wanders into this old antique shop. There's knickknacks and junk all over the place. And as he's looking around, he sees this cat drinking out of this vase. That There's milk in this vase. And as he looks at this vase, he recognizes this vase. And it's a priceless vase from... China from the Ming Dynasty. And as he's looking at this vase and the cat's drinking out of it, he schemes in his head, how can I get that vase because the owner has no clue its real value. Because why would they let a priceless vase, why would they let their cat drink out of this? It's on the floor. And so this antique dealer, he's like, in his head, finally he comes up with a perfect solution. He goes to the owner of the shop and says, oh, I love your cat. I love your cat. Is there any way that I could buy your cat? And the store owner says, well, I could never sell my cat because she keeps all the mice away from my store. And this guy says, I must have her. Please, I'll give you $100. He puts $100 on the counter. And the store owner says, sold. No problem. It's yours. And then the antique dealer says, well, I was wondering, I really need to feed her somehow. And I was wondering if I could buy maybe for, you know, I know it's, you know, I'll, I'll make, here's $10 for the vase that the, you know, the cat's drinking out of. Can I have the vase to make sure that, my, you know, my cat's, your cat's hydrated properly? <laughs> and here's what the shop owner says. Oh, I could never do that. That saucer is actually an ancient Chinese vase from the Ming Dynasty. It is my prized possession. Its worth is beyond calculation. Funny thing, though, since we've had it, we've sold 17 cats. <laughs> <laughs> the ability to sign wor- worth and value to someone is one of the most precious gifts in the world. The ability to see somebody and say they have value and worth is really priceless. And as the people of God, we're called to become masters at assigning high worth and value to people. (coughs) Value, importance to people around us. In a word, you could say we're called to honor. We're called to honor each other. We're called to honor God's people created in God's image to honor. Do you know that every group has rules about how to honor people? For children, it's like knocking on your neighbor's door saying, can you come out and play? That's like honoring. Move up to maybe junior high and middle school boys, like a good insult and a punch on the arm. Like that's showing love and affection and you're honoring. Now, when we get older, the dynamic stays the same. Uh, it just looks a little bit different. Uh, It gets a little more sophisticated. But we all have ways of expressing and valuing people and honoring people. Every society adopts ways to honor and value or ignore and hurt. Every society has that. And we can choose to demean or we can choose to uplift. And understanding this is really important in a story that happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. A story with a Pharisee, his name's Simon, and betw- between Simon and Jesus and this woman that breaks into the party. And today that's what we're going to look at. And here's the text, Luke 7. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 7. We're going to start in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Later on in this story, Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, he says in verse 44, When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my, the dust from my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. Verse 45. In verse 46, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. Well, one day, Jesus arrives in the home of this religious leader for dinner. And Luke makes sure that he tells us the point that Jesus had been invited. Because Jesus would be considered a visiting rabbi. And he would would be regarded as having great honor in society. He would be the guest of honor. And certain rules of etiquette should be respected here. Now we all have rules of etiquette. Like I said, culture determines what etiquette is. So I have a church etiquette question for you. Here's a little test. Let's say that your phone, your cell phone rings in church. What do you do? A, point disgustedly at the person in front of you. (laughs) B, answer the phone with, yes, Lord, I'm here. (laughs) C, give a higher than usual offering. Or D, answer the phone by yelling, my baby, and run out of the room. Or maybe E, any of the above. (laughs) Well, etiquette's important, right? There's rules of etiquette, and some of you are turning your cell phones off now. (laughs) So etiquette's important. Uh, The customary greeting in the New Testament was a kiss. This was not an expression of like love towards people, it was just what we did. It was was an acknowledgement of their presence. It was an acknowledgement of that person arriving in your home. Washing feet was like mandatory before a meal. Guests of high status, the host would normally wash your feet if a guest had high status in your home. Uh, And a thoughtful host would give his guest some olive oil just to freshen up. Now, to, to neglect these rules of etiquette would be a rude insult. Today, it would be like if I invited you to my home and when you got there, you heard me yell, come on in. And then I stayed in the couch watching my TV show. And you came in and you wandered around. And I didn't stand up and acknowledge you. I didn't uh, give you a high five or a hug. I just ignored you and continued to watch my television show in your presence. Every one of you would say, uh, there's a problem here. Like, at least acknowledge me. Say hi. Right? And this is kind of what's happening with Jesus thousand years ago that's how rude these three things not happening to jesus is you're just completely ignoring what really should happen and how we honor people so jesus arrives at this home and receives nothing from simon now you have to understand jesus is no longer an obscure, obscure carpenter he's become a renowned teacher he's attracted multitudes of people around his country and he's also attracted people from outside of even his area people from side and entire have come he has a international following at this point and yet in the home of simon this religious leader he's given no greeting no water for his feet and no anointing for his head it's a deliberate slap in the face towards jesus And everybody present in this moment knew it. Everyone. Let's look at verse 37. Then, when a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, wiping Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, banquets like this, it's odd because we have this woman bursting in. How did she even get in, we ask ourselves as moderners? Um, Well, banquets, banquets like this were held in courtyards of the wealthy. Therefore, people would walk up, watch, and listen and in, this mo- in that moment, a prostitute shows up. And this woman knows what it means to be unwelcome in society. Prostitutes were usually at this time slaves in Israel. They had either been captured by war or abandoned as infants and then raised in the sex trade. She knows rejection. No decent person will speak to her, welcome her, or acknowledge her. She hears Jesus is attending this dinner and of course she wouldn't be welcome in a million years but she gathers the courage and she walks into this courtyard and she sees Jesus and she sees how Jesus is treated by this religious leader, this Pharisee. You would say that Pharisees were like a modern day pastor. Okay? And so this religious leader of Jesus' day completely Ignores the Savior. She sees how Jesus is being treated by Simon, and the woman can't stand it. What can she do? And she has this little impulse. She could kiss his feet. Simon's completely ignored him. She could just kiss his feet, and she decides to act quickly before losing her nerve. Can you imagine the drama? Everyone's watching and Jesus is reclined as they would do 2000 years ago on a cushion with feet being away from the table you'd kind of recline on your shoulder uh, you'd lean back you'd relax actually man wouldn't it be amazing to have thanksgiving meal like that where i'll just lying down and foods in front of us and we just kind of eat over the next hour or two that's what ha- so that's what's happening here so Jesus is reclined at this table his feet Away from the table, and suddenly this woman that's been watching in the courtyard, who is not invited, stands at his feet and she kneels down to kiss his feet so that somebody might greet him and give him honor. Tears come to her eyes, then all of a sudden they start pouring down her face tears of sadness because of her sin, tears of gratitude because of forgiveness, tears of joy because of new life, Jesus' feet, unwashed by Simon, are now wet from her tears. She has this alabaster jar of perfume, most likely a flask worn around her neck. Because of her profession, this flask is quite important. Um, in an era not known for its hygiene, perfume helped make her work a little less unpleasant. Now she empties the flask and it's an act of great significance because she doesn't need it anymore. She's pouring out her old way of life. All that she once was she's giving, laying that down. So she pours it onto Jesus' feet and then she starts kissing his feet over and over again. She unashamedly pours herself out in gratitude and imagine that moment and if i could compare and contrast these two characters jesus and this religious elite pharisee this woman is willing to go all in she just her gratitude is overflowing and she can't help but respond to jesus in a certain way and on the other hand you have this pharisee And there's no gratitude, and you see the opposite. You see a smugness. You see, like, he's the religious leader, and he's got it all together, and he doesn't need anybody or anyone, including Jesus. She unashamedly pours herself out in gratitude, and Simon's watching. And let's look at verse 39, when the Pharisee, Who invited him saw this. He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. As Simon watches the drama, he says to himself, Jesus isn't it after all. He's not really the Messiah. Otherwise, he would know who's touching her. Jesus really isn't it. But Jesus knows this woman. And Jesus knows Simon. And Jesus wonders if there's any way to get Simon to see the value of the apparent worthless object that's in front of him on the floor. So Jesus tells Simon a little story. Look at verse 40, 41. A man, oops, 41, here we go. Then Jesus told him this story. A man owed money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. Neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him after that? So, in our day, the story might sound like this Let me tell you about two gamblers in over their heads to a bookie named Fast Eddie. Both of them owed money, and neither one of them could repay it. Both of the men had the same fate. The only apparent difference was that one owed a great deal more. The real difference was the debbie gambler with a larger debt knew that he was desperate. When they could not pay, they expected to lose a couple fingers and maybe a knee. But Fast Eddie found Jesus and he forgave their debt. (laughs) Okay? Now Jesus asked Simon, which one. Would be filled with relief and gratitude and joy? Little debtor or big debtor? Which one's going to be filled with greater joy? Little debtor or bigger debtor? And Simon begins this next, his answer with I suppose, I suppose the answer's obvious, right? Big debt. Big debt. Then Jesus turns towards the woman, and this is really important, guys. Jesus turns towards the woman but continues to speak to Simon. And there's a reason for that. Uh, by facing one person and then addressing the other, Jesus is trying to turn Simon's attention away from the scene and away to actually help Simon see this woman that he's been unable to see. So Jesus is talking to Simon, but he's looking at this woman and he says, don't you see, don't you see what I see? Jesus is encouraging Simon to look where he looks to see what he sees. He's inviting Simon to see lying there on the floor is a prized possession of God whose value is beyond calculation. And imagine her beaming. Under Jesus' gaze, tears flowing, heart pounding, filled with fear and shame and hope and unspeakable love. And Jesus says, look at her. Throw that next slide on. please. Look at her. There you go. No, go back. Sorry. Look at her. Look at this woman kneeling here. Don't you see her? Simon, you're a religious leader. You should be able to see everyone. Don't you see her? Look at her. When nobody else would look, Jesus is calling Simon to see this woman. For years of my life, um, I was a modern day Pharisee. Uh, I was like Simon, I could not see others. I could not see my own sin. I could not see that I was a big debtor. I could not see my faults and failures. I was a big debtor, but I viewed myself as a little debtor. Kind of like this Pharisee here. That's the way I viewed myself. I viewed myself as having it all together, even though I didn't. Simon doesn't see. He sees trash on the floor. A vessel so unclean. He wouldn't use it to feed his cat. He doesn't see what Jesus sees at all something priceless. And then Jesus says to Simon, throw that next slide on, please. Jesus says to Simon, You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. This woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. You didn't do what is customary, the standard way to receive a guest. You didn't do any of that, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, a big debt has been forgiven. That is why this woman loves so lavishly. The one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Now it's worth noting here that Jesus is not saying, "Simon, you're a righteous man. You've hardly sinned at all. You don't need much grace." That's not what he's saying. Simon perceives himself to have little sin. And what makes it hard for him, that's what makes it hard for him to be overwhelmed by grace. His perception of being a little sinner. He thinks God's getting a pretty good deal in him. He thinks of himself as a small debtor. He looks at large debt people and wonders why they can't be more like him. The question is, who's really the bigger debtor? And uh, just ask yourself that question. Who's really the bigger debtor in the story? Who's the bigger debtor today? You guys, there's a great sin defiling this courtyard. But it's not the sin that Simon thinks it is. It's a sin of lips that won't kiss and knees that won't bend and eyes that won't weep and hands that won't serve and perfume that will never leave the jar and a heart that will not break and a life that won't change and a soul that will not love. That is the sin defiling this courtyard. Because the greatest commandment is to love God. And we find that in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 and Matthew 22 and Luke 12 and or luke 10 and mark 12 if there was a greatest sin it would be refusal to obey the greatest commandment and jesus is saying in essence to simon simon don't you see simon open your eyes don't you see that you have the biggest debt of all if only simon could see it if only he would fall on the ground beside this woman and say, oh, my God, forgive me, too. Give me grace, too. If only his tears would begin to flow and he would they could bathe the feet of Jesus together, if only. But it doesn't happen. If only. Then Simon would realize that he and this sinner are just a couple of deadbeat gamblers in over their heads in the family of forgiven debtors. She needs grace for a heart that is broken. He needs grace for a heart that's hard. Who's the bigger debtor? I am. And you are. We are. Who's the bigger debtor? And then the second question, if we can actually get that, the second question is, can we actually see? Um, Many today, we see an old vessel, useful for nothing. But if we can train our eye, we can actually see something priceless, just like that vase from the Ming Dynasty. Uh, So I have one last story. And, um, the story of Mrs. Thompson. And it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, uh, it's a true story about this teacher uh, named Mrs. Thompson. And she taught one fourth grader named Teddy Stollard. Teddy was in fourth grade. He was slow. He was uncapped. He was a loner in the school. And uh, he was shunned by his other classmates. But the year before, the end of his third grade year, he uh, had his mother pass away. And so um, any desire for really excelling and doing something amazing in school, if it was there originally in third grade, it was all gone by fourth grade, and he was just existing. And so here he is. Now, Mrs. Uh, Thompson didn't really even like like Teddy. it, It was like, one of those problem kids that never quite would rise up. And, uh, and she kind of knew the background, but she did nothing about it until one day, Teddy set a bag on her desk for Christmas. And um, the other students, it was the day right before Christmas break, and there was all kinds of other gifts, three or four other gifts, and they were all wrapped really pretty with bows and a nice, perfect wrapping. But she saw Teddy set this bag on her desk, and so right before lunchtime, she decided to open the gifts in front of the kids. And she unwrapped all the other ones first, and they were all pretty and brand new. And then she got to the bag that Teddy gave her, and she opened it up. And she pulled out a bracelet, a rhinestone bracelet, that had several of the rhinestones missing. And she heard a couple of the other students snicker a little bit. And then she pulled out, looked in the bottom, and pulled out some perfume that was half empty. And then some more kids kind of laughed in the back of the room. And Mrs. Thompson knew in that moment she had an option. She could give in to what those other kids were laughing, and they knew they were laughing directly at Teddy, or she just knew that she had to do something. So she slapped on the bracelet really fast, and she took the perfume, and she stepped into it. I, I don't really <laughs> like perfume that much. And I'm going to take this off. for just. For. John wore a bracelet, a rhinestone bracelet at church. Oh, great. There it is in video. (laughs) But she stepped into the perfume and she threw on the bracelet like it meant the world to her. And all the kids that day, they went home and as everybody was leaving that day, Teddy said something to her. He said, Mrs. Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet looks really good on you, too. And Mrs. Thompson, you know, Teddy was the last one he left. She hugged him and she fell to her knees and she wept that day. And she said, "God, forgive me for not seeing Teddy." For si- 4 months Teddy's been in my classroom and I've just neglected him. I've looked past him. I didn't want to help him. I I just saw him as a problem kid. And today, God, forgive me. Because I want to see the priceless objects that you have placed in front of me each and every day. And so, she gets up off of her knees after saying, God, forgive me. And she gets back in January, and she's a new teacher. She has a new way of seeing people. And it was because the Holy Spirit did something really deep in her heart. And so she worked with Teddy over the next six months until he got done with fourth grade. By the end, Teddy had almost caught up with the rest of the class. And Teddy would come after fourth grade. Teddy went on to fifth grade. And uh, Teddy would stop by every once in a while and say hi to Mrs. Thompson and wave, and they would hog And then she didn't hear from Teddy for a while, and then she got a letter from Teddy that said this. Dear Mrs. Thompson, I want you to be the first to know I will be graduating from high school and I'm second in my class. Four years later, she got another note, Mrs. Thompson. They told me I will be graduating first in my class, and I want you to be the first to know university was hard, but I really enjoyed it. Four years later, dear Mrs. Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, MD. How about that? I want you to be the first to know that I'm getting married this summer, and I want you to be—I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit, as if she were alive. You are the only family I have now. Dad passed away last year, and Mrs. Thompson went and sat where Teddy's mother would have sat when. He got married. You guys, at the core, it's so simple. We are called to love God and love our neighbor. You and I have the power to love and to honor people. To love and to honor people. To value people around us. And the question is, can we see ourselves? And the question about ourselves can we see ourselves as the big debtor? Because if we see ourselves as the little debtor, we'll never be able to see ourselves and put ourselves in a position where we can love and serve others. We have to view ourselves as the big debt people, first of all. So if you can see yourselves through that lens, then you are able to actually see the others as priceless. And it's something this Pharisee, Missed 2,000 years ago, and sometimes I'm afraid that the church today misses it just the same. Can we view ourselves as the big debtor, and can we see others as priceless? Let me give you a couple practical tips today. And guys, I think that this story is one of the keys to being thankful. Thankful. One of the keys that you and I have, one of those kingdom keys that as we unpack it, oh my gosh, I am actually the big debtor too. We can't be grateful if we see ourselves as these little debtors. So, practical tips number one. The ability to assign value to people is one of the rarest and greatest gifts in the world. Ask God to help you really see people. Ask God to... Wow, okay, I don't know what happened there, but... Yeah. You guys, it's so important. It's there twice for you, I think. <laughs> um, the, actually, that's somehow we're seeing something from a long time ago. Okay. Um, go to the next one. See if that one showed up. Normal. Oh, there we go. Okay. So first one, we'll just skip that one. No, no. I actually, we really need to be able to see people. And. And in order for you to see people, you have to view yourself as the big debtor. And if you can view yourself as a big debtor, all of a sudden you will see old and young. And you will see the little ones running around here as well as as John and 90. Like, you will see everybody. All of a sudden we start seeing rich and poor. All of a sudden we start seeing black, white, and brown, and yellow, and everything. Like, we start to see people. That's God's intention for the church. Okay, number two. To be truly thankful, 365 days a year, you need to be able to see yourself as that big debtor. Ask God for eyes that weep, hands that serve, lips that kiss, a heart that breaks, and soul that loves. Ask God. Ask God for that stuff, and I guarantee if you're willing to go there with the Holy Spirit, um, it'll change you. You'll start to see different Okay, and I really think, guys, that this is the like I've got. I, I think how do you communicate Thanksgiving? And I think that this is one of those ones that we don't necessarily look at, but it should be so important, and it is so important because if you can view ourselves as a big debtor, all of a sudden you are grateful automatically because you will be like that woman on the floor saying, "God." thank you. Instead of the Pharisee, the religious elite, having all his pride, thinking that he has it all together, it'll change you guys. We will be grateful, people. And number three, today over lunch, practice sharing with three people what you're grateful for. So, you can even say, Pastor John said, I have to do this. I don't know. Or no, just start saying, what are you grateful for? Here's what I'm grateful for. And just start to share that stuff. Here's what I'm really grateful for. Then on Thursday, have each person share with everyone around the table what they're grateful for. And just share. Be grateful people. There's something really good when our hearts are Able to be in the place where that woman was at, and we are just grateful and we pour out love and gratitude for what Jesus has done in our life and the people around us. It changes us, guys. It'll change you. Let's all stand. We're going to sing this song, and as we Some of you are like, ah, I need prayer. I, I know it, like, in the core of my being. Uh, and so if you're here, we, if you just know that you need some prayer, we'd love to pray for you, okay? That's first. But second, uh, for those of you that are here, if you feel like you identify with this woman in this story, you have eyes that weep on a regular basis, you have hands that serve, you have lips that kiss, you have heart that breaks, you have a soul That loves, we'd love to pray and bless that over your life because that's something the Spirit of God is doing in you. Okay? So we want to bless that. We want to honor that today. So we'd love to pray for that. Two, if you view yourself as a little debtor, a small debtor, um, you identify more with Simon the Pharisee, we also want you to get some prayer this morning. Some of us just need to be honest. Identify more with the Pharisee than with the woman that's broken, and just be honest. God honors honesty when we actually come before Him and say, "This is where my heart is at. I need help." Uh, maybe you're here, and uh, gratitude is just not there. There's uh, maybe a spirit of entitlement, like it's all owed to me. I deserve it. I think the Holy Spirit wants to break that in your life a couple that came up in our pre-service prayer. Uh, One of our prayer team members said, there's somebody here, they believe it's just incredibly sad, and your heart is so broken today. Uh, They believe that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you, and then somebody else, you're going into the holidays, and the holidays for you means pain, when there's all these chipper, fun everybody else is loving life and you're here and you're saying how do I even make it through this next season where everybody else is smiling how do I get members, come on up, and uh, let's sing this song, we'll have our closing prayer in just a minute, but if you need prayer, come on up, and our first workers would love to pray.